Right, it is time for another book of the week. And I'm really excited about this one. I know I say that every week, don't I? But the fact of it is, I'm just never not excited about these books. Imagine I chose to bring you one that I was really bored by. Imagine I was like, welcome to another book of the week. Weary pages with tedious stories. No, it's not tedious, it's joyful. It's another brilliant book. It's a memoir. And we do do a lot of memoir on the podcast here because we just love it. This week is a memoir by a woman called Carrie Marshall. She's a mum, a nerd, a writer and a musician and a regular on BBC Radio Scotland for over 18 years. So our Scottish listeners will know exactly who Carrie is. Her book is entitled Carrie Kills a Man, which is a brilliant title. Of course, Carrie is a trans woman and this is her story of growing up Scottish and gay in the 1980s. It sounds quite familiar to me in many ways, but also very, very powerfully different. It's about navigating the world while the burden of a secret weighs you down. There's loads of joy in Carrie's story and Carrie's voice and she recounts her coming out to family, friends and co-workers. And of course, coming out is a story that never ends. I love that there's a national coming out day every year and I'm like, I come out most days of the week. And anyway, anyway don't start me, I've started myself. So, <laughs> Carrie Kills a Man covers gender and sexuality and it deals with the euphoria that comes with being your true self, not something that's often shared in print or shared successfully. And Carrie describes this as being some, herself as being somewhere between the spirit of LGBTQ plus icons, Velma Dinkley, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, look her up, and Eddie Hazard. So here's Carrie. Hello, I'm Carrie Marshall. And I'm absolutely delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Carrie Kills a Man. In this reading, I'll be taking you from the very beginning of the book, which explains why there's a hand grenade on the book cover, tells you a secret I kept for nearly 40 years, and gives you too much information about my toes. I think it's a good introduction to the rest of the book, which is about trying to be somebody that, deep down, you know you're not. I started writing the book shortly after I came out as transgender in 2016, partly as a diary because so many things were happening that I wanted to remember, and partly because I'm a compulsive oversharer. In addition to writing for a living, I've been blogging and talking on the radio about often very personal things for around 20 years now. There's a phrase I really like, be the person you needed when you were younger. And I wanted to write the book I needed when I was younger, a book that would tell me there are other people like me out there, that would tell me that being trans can be such a wonderful, joyful and special thing, and that would warn me that from time to time I'd go out the door looking like an explosion in a clown factory. The book isn't quite the one I set out to write, although that joy and that wonder is still a very big part of it. But shortly after I came out as transgender, a moral panic about trans people started on both sides of the Atlantic. And that means we're now one of the most talked about and least listened to, groups of people out there. In May 2022, the UK news media published 501 articles about trans people, almost all of them negative. That's 16 stories a day, and it's making the UK feel like a very unsafe place. Right now, more people claim to have seen a ghost than admit to knowing a trans person. 
and I hope Carrie Kells a man can help change that. I hope that by getting to know me, you'll see yourself in me and understand that we're not something to be tolerated, but celebrated. I want you to see and share our love, our laughter and our joy. And if I have to admit to dressing up like Darth Vader's dustbin to do that, so be it. This is an extract from Carrie Kills a Man, written and read by me, Carrie Marshall. Do you want to know a secret? Some secrets are butterflies, gossamer light with translucent wings. If they escape, there's barely a flutter. The most they'll disturb is a few motes of dust. But some other secrets are barrels packed with plastic explosive. So unstable and so dangerous that you have to bury them deep and cover them in concrete. If you don't, they'll erupt with so much force that they'll make the dinosaurs meeting with a meteorite look like a suburban dinner party. I knew that my secret wasn't a butterfly. Some boys want to be Batman when they grow up. I wanted to be Velma from Scooby-Doo. Velma was super smart, super serious and sometimes sarcastic. I adored her. In her big glasses, oversized jumper and orange socks, she was irresistibly odd, bookishly beautiful and completely compelling. Daphne may have got all the boys' attention, but Velma was the one who solved the mysteries. I didn't know that Velma was a lesbian icon back then. I didn't really know what a lesbian was either. All I knew was there was only one cartoon character I wanted to be and it wasn't Batman, He-Man or Captain Caveman. I also knew that I needed to keep that very, very quiet. In 2016, I had what appeared to be the perfect life. I was married to a beautiful woman. We had two beautiful children. We were living the suburban dream with all that suggests. The Black Labrador, the Saab Estate, the Jamie Oliver cookbooks in the kitchen and the Oyster Bay in the wine rack. My secret threw a hand grenade into all of it. Part 1. Small Town Boy. Life is a minestrone. Have you ever made minestrone? It's really simple. Some veg, some oil, some stock, a few cloves of garlic, some broken bits of pasta and some beans. As they simmer, the garlic and the veg and the tomatoes fill the air with flavours you can almost taste on your tongue. It's a happy, homely aroma that brings to mind red and white checked tablecloths. Bottles of Chianti in wicker baskets and a gaggy a coffee maker spitting steam in the corner. But no matter how many cookbooks I consult, no matter how many overlong online recipes I pour over, no matter how carefully I chop or cook or saute or simmer, the minestrone I make doesn't taste like the minestrone from the cafe round the corner or the minestrone from the little Italian where everything is just like Mama used to make. And that's because minestrone is just a simple label for something incredibly complicated. A multi-layered mix of interactions between lots of different things. Even the most delicate deviation can have an enormous effect. A slight change in the ingredients, in the recipe, or in the cooking method can completely transform what you end up with. Conceiving a child is very much like making minestrone. Not literally. 
Unless something is very wrong, sex should be considerably more fun and less likely to involve the use of cabbage or kale. But even the most complex recipe is nothing compared to the recipe for people. And as a result, there are almost infinite variations in every aspect of our brains and our bodies. Even when people are genetically identical, there can still be profound differences. We come from the same genetic stock, but my brother has dark hair, a strong build and normal feet. I have reddish hair, longer limbs and hammer toes. And those things make me a beautiful and unique snowflake. Globally, 98% of people don't have red hair. 97% don't have hammer toes. And as far as we know, 99% of people aren't transgender. Transgender is when the gender you know you are, such as man or woman, doesn't match the one you were assigned at birth when the doctor slapped your backside and proclaimed, it's a boy or it's a girl. Most people are cisgender, which means the doctor's initial impression was correct. But doctors don't always get it right. With my brother and I, they only had a 50% success rate. My brother is cisgender, or cis for short. And I'm not. I don't know why my recipe was subtly different to my brother's. Maybe it's genetic. Maybe it's hormonal. Maybe it's chromosomal. Maybe it's more than one of those things or something else entirely. Maybe something didn't kick in when it was supposed to kick in. Or maybe it didn't kick as hard as it should. Or maybe I was more kick-resistant than most. Whatever the explanation, I ended up with a body that didn't quite match who I am. A biological soup that wasn't quite what I ordered. And because I'm British, I didn't complain. And I was too scared to send it back. Hi, I'm Carrie. Goody two-shoes. I wasn't born in the wrong body. I was born on the wrong planet. Were other kids at my school obsessed over football? I was more interested in far-flung galaxies, space travel and sci-fi stories. I spent a lot of time daydreaming about them or staring in awe at the fantastic worlds and skyscraper-sized spaceships on the covers of sci-fi books. There was absolutely no doubt in my mind I was going to be an astronaut. Astronauts care little for earthly things. So instead of the on-trend Adidas satchels my classmates proudly wore, I'd rock up to primary school with one of my dad's old plastic briefcases full of model space rockets, a look that attracted the odd bit of negative attention and quite a lot of amusement. I was regarded with some suspicion because I hated sport, hated talking about sport, and hated being around people who talked about sport. And I couldn't understand why I had to hang around with the boys instead of the girls, who seemed much more interested and interesting. As if that wasn't enough to make me stand out, I spoke with a different accent. I was new in town, and I was younger than my classmates. That was because of my dad's job. He worked for a construction company who moved us down the east coast of Scotland before cutting across to Ayrshire in the west. I'd started off in Inverness and moved down to West Lothian, where I was mocked for having an accent that was too posh. I changed it, just in time to move to a different part of Scotland, where my accent was now deemed too rough. One of the people that told me this was my next-door neighbour, an older boy who wasn't very nice to me but grew up to be a very nice man. He's my accountant now but I have a long memory and I never pay his invoices on time. I wasn't bullied much. I'd have the odd parker pulled over the head encounter with some tiny fists trying to pummel my torso, but they were more like dancing than fighting. I didn't experience anything particularly traumatic. I'd be called poof from time to time by people hoping to get a rise out of me, but even then I knew I was very bad at fighting, so I didn't rise to the bait. 
and I quickly found a protector in the form of Davy, a gruff, gentle giant of a boy, who befriended me in much the same way you'd rescue a stray dog, and who seemed to enjoy my company and my daft jokes. I didn't quite cower behind his legs when I was threatened, but the other boys seemed to understand that if they messed with me, Davy would mess with them. Our friendship wasn't based on that protection. It was more about debating which madness song was best, swapping comic books, and seeing who had the worst jokes. Davy was, and is, a funny guy. But I don't doubt that if it weren't for Davy, I'd have had a much rougher time. If I were from another planet, then Davy was the Elliot to my E.T., the friend who helped me navigate a world I didn't understand. I liked primary school. I came home with consistently glowing school reports, although my teachers despaired at my tendency to talk all the time. One of them, at her wit's end, after yet another barrage of questions, locked me in the stationary cupboard to stop me talking. My adult friends, I'm sure, have frequently felt like doing the same. Primary school was also where I fell in love with books. I didn't so much read books as inhale them, and according to my teachers, my reading age was double my actual one. Once I left primary school, I began borrowing books, not just with my own library card, but with my mum and dad's cards too. I was drawn to horror. Stephen King's Carrie, Christine and Salem's Lot, James Herbert's The Rats in the Fog, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, and science fiction, especially the bleak stuff such as Neville Shute's On the Beach and Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. I also adored wry, funny science fiction by the likes of Kurt Vonnegut and Douglas Adams, both of whom had a huge influence on my sense of humour and on my writing style too. And I devoured endless crime novels ranging from the Scottish police procedurals of William McIlvanny and, later, Ian Rankin, to the often repellent noir of James Elroy and the macho mafiosi of Mario Piuzzo's The Godfather. I'd take out ten books and finish them inside a week. To this day I get really uneasy if I don't have at least one unread book at home. I often accumulate vertiginous towers of two-read titles that I can topple in case of emergency. Books were everything to me. An education, I often mispronounce words because I've never heard them spoken aloud. An adventure, taking me to the faraway galaxies I knew by now I wasn't actually going to visit, or showing me horrors that I hoped only existed in the author's imaginations. And more than anything, an escape. Books were a portal to other worlds, enabling me to escape not just from the outside world, but from the cacophony inside my skull. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. And I know that we all know about the sheer joy that comes from losing yourself in a good book. And this certainly is one of them. So Carrie Kills a Man is published by one of our favourite independent presses. It's called Inc. 404. That's I-N-K and then the numbers 404. They make brilliant books and we just love them. So anyway, Carrie Kills a Man is available now in all good bookshops. I encourage you to get a copy from your local independent bookshop or from our shop on bookshop.org or to order it through your local library because your local library is there for you and it's free to use. So please make sure you've got your local library card. Uh, Before I go, I just want to take it back to something that Carrie said, which I thought was surprising but revealing, which is, she says, more people think they've seen a ghost than met a trans person. 
that is Carrie's words and Carrie's thought and I'm just going to leave you with them and her fabulous reading. Her memoir, Carrie Kills a Man, is out now. As always, it's a pleasure to bring you brilliant new books. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing our podcast. I hope everything is good in your world and that I will see you again soon. Bye.